Um, we're going to open up the Bible to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. If you don't have a Bible, our interns and Brandon will come down and bring you a Bible. So just raise your hand. We pass these out every single week. Don't feel weird about taking one. If you don't have a Bible, follow along with us here in this Bible here. If you don't own a Bible whatsoever, you do now. It's our free gift to you. Please enjoy that. Now, um, it is, uh, I catch my breath after all the crying, but... Um, it's really good to be back with you guys. I was gone last week uh, at a wedding, um, and it was just always like a moment every time away where it's like, man, I, I honestly, I look forward, like, oh, this would be neat to kind of get away and, and see some different things. I got to visit some churches out there, um, do this wedding. It was a great time, but man, I just, my heart is here, and so it's, it's a delight to be back with you guys. Um, I, I say all that, just, I want to highlight Anthony, if I would, real quick, um, even though he yelled at me like 10 minutes ago, um, <laughs> because... Anthony's had to step up a good handful of times. You remember even a couple weeks ago, I was sick, and so he preached on a day's notice. Um, he's been preaching a ton for us, stepping in in a lot of different ways around the church. And then next week, I'll be leaving for two more Sundays, and so he's going to be running the show with Andy and I gone. And so we guys just thank Anthony for his service to us. Um, as I was thinking this week, like kind of reflecting on and trying to put my heart in this worshipful place. I just began to think of all that God has done. And those stories could be vast, right? Like if we all just sat down and began to share, man, this is all the stuff the Lord has done in my life, man, we'd be here all day, and that's phenomenal. Like to study and to spend time and to reflect upon what God's done is beautiful. But um, a lot of you guys know my story, but I wanted to share just kind of a couple glimpses of it because it's a place that I'm coming from as I preach this morning. You see, I grew up in the South in Louisiana, and everyone I knew went to church except for me and my family. Like we were like the weirdos uh, that, that didn't do church, okay? Uh, and so I remember sitting in my backyard once, and this is the memory that flooded my mind this week. And we're sitting in the backyard of my home uh, in Slidell, Louisiana, and uh, it's me and probably like five or six buddies, and they're all like devout Christian family kids, that type of deal. And so they had done Sunday school, they had done all that, and somehow the topic of conversation got put on, what will heaven be like, right? Now, they all start throwing out their different ideas, which are probably far more biblically sound than what I was getting ready to say, but I was louder and more convincing, and so I convinced five kids uh, that heaven was going to be whatever you wanted it to be. You would just think it, and that's what would happen, right? And so then they leave this meeting with, with, with me, meeting is a weird word, but our hangout time, uh, and they go back to their parents, and they're like all excited about heaven because heaven's whatever they want, right? And then kids stopped hanging out with me in my house as much, and so... Um, <laughs> And so th this was kind of, I had these thoughts and these ideas about potentially who God was founded and grounded in absolutely no aspect of truth, scripture, or anything of the like. It was just kind of what I conjured up. That was my thoughts. And I had no thought that in the future of my life that I would be here or any of the things that the Lord had done would kind of come to fruition. I moved to California. I did the youth group thing from time to time because that's what you do when you're in high school and you find a girl attractive that goes to youth group, okay? And so I did youth group. I heard a few things that sounded pretty good. There was one youth group where you got a free soda every time you prayed the prayer. I must have prayed the prayer like 13 times every week. I'll take a Dr. Pepper. Thank you very much. And this is true. So I would get saved over and over and over for a soda, Okay. Uh, if you run youth ministry, not a great idea, okay? And so uh, I, I get to the end of my senior year. I had just applied and gotten into a handful of schools. I got into UCSD, which was kind of my dream school academically, and then I got into San Diego State, which is my dream school for every other reason, okay? Uh, and so I chose San Diego State, okay, much to my parents' chagrin. And so uh, I have all these plans for what San Diego State's going to look like as a, as, a, as a young male, just enjoying my time as an 18, 19-year-old guy. 
And then God decides to do something different. On the summer after graduation from high school, I'm sitting in a room, in a living room, with five non-Christians and one, which she would even say to this day, kind of a nominal Christian. Grew up in the church, no real attachment to faith at that point in her life. And she, out of nowhere, says to a group of her and six non-Christians sitting in the living room, says, hey, would you guys like to start a Bible study? Okay? Again, we had zero desire for this. I was not chasing after God. I wasn't looking for God. I had no desire except for just to gratify me. And yet, to a man, every person in that room said, yeah, sounds like a good idea, okay? Two days later, we had all had Bibles in our hands, and we started in Genesis chapter 1 teaching each other the scriptures, okay? Now, heaven only knows what we told each other was coming up out of those conversations, but the Lord was faithful, right? And then through some series of connections, a youth group leader in town heard about this crazy Bible study with these non-Christians trying to teach each other, came in, led our study. That study grew from about six or seven of us all the way to about 55 to 60 of us by the end of the year, all of our friends just trying to explore this Bible thing, okay? Somewhere between that moment and then my first semester in college, God just won, right? I began to do a lot of research on the resurrection. I was like, man, if this resurrection thing is real, like if this dude truly came back to life, this must mean something, right? And so then God convinced me through the changing and regeneration of my heart. The spirit comes in, changes my life, saves me, makes me his, adopts me into his family. And then I get to go all around the world with the Jesus film missionary, and then we're here in this church. And so I just reflected upon this moment and these contrasting stories of me sitting around a table in Slidell, Louisiana, surrounded by church in God, Right? And yet couldn't find him until it was time where then I was surrounded by the exact opposite and God brought me into his family. Now listen, that, there is no way to talk up or write out or dream up that story outside of God does far more abundantly than we can ask or even think. Okay? And that's the text that we're going to look at today. And this verse, honestly, is a verse that gets used inappropriately all the time. And we're going to talk about that as well. Okay? But this is the context that I know I'm approaching from, and hopefully if you're here, if you love the Lord, listen, there might be some of you here, you're not a Christian, right? That's not your story. You haven't had that moment yet. Well, listen, hey, maybe that's coming. Listen up. God wants to move and wants to show you himself. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to look at these two verses together at first from kind of a macro level, 35,000 foot view. What's the big picture idea trying to be conveyed by the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Ephesian church in verses 20 and 21? Then we'll go back in and bring it down to the what does this mean for us stuff and break it down each verse. Okay, so verse uh, 20 and 21 from Ephesians 3 says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, at face value, it's very obvious, right? This text is not about us. But very clearly, if we just look at the trajectory of how often I've heard this verse, it moves towards us really quickly. The focus tends to be, oh my gosh, did you just hear that he will do anything that I want? But even more than that, that's amazing. This text is not about you. Verses 20, 20 and 21, this is not about you and being celebratory. God's going to give me whatever I want. And even more than that, that's incredible. That's all true, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But that is secondary to the primary purpose of 20 and 21, which is to give glory to God. It is a text about him and not about us. When we make it about him, we miss the power of what's being communicated here by the Apostle Paul. This text is about him. God is magnificent. God is wonderful. This is the work that he's doing. Now, he's also in this setting up two intentional contrasts. One requires a little bit of historical know-how. The other one doesn't as much. And so let's talk about the first one. 
Now, what's happening in the city of Ephesus, this was a multicultural, very diverse city. So we're talking social difference, economic difference, and disparity. We're talking spiritual difference and disparity. Multiple gods, lots of pagan religions, all converging onto one town in Asia. Okay, That's what's going on here. And what you had in the midst of it were people who were trying to capitalize on the pagan gods of the day by conjuring up magic and conjuring up spells in order to bottle up some of what was happening at the deistic level, what they saw as the god level, and saying, well, look what we can do now. So they're trying to get praise and glory and worship, and this was very rampant across the city of Ephesus, that you had these kind of cult leaders, is what we probably call them today, magicians who would conjure up some magic that would deceive the masses and be like, hey, what about this story? What about what we can do? We would call this essentially, this is having the kingdom without the king. This is a desire to say, hey, look at all we can do, but you don't need to really worry about Jesus. The God, the one that the Christians keep talking about, let's leave him behind. You can just have a bottled up, beautiful piece of the kingdom of God without actually having to have Jesus and the king. Now, this oftentimes, I think, is something that we too can buy into. It's a route that I think we get pulled into as well to say, you don't really need Jesus as long as you could just have all the benefits of Jesus. Uh, there's, there's a famous kind of author, uh, atheist turned agnostic, okay, so hopefully we're slowly winning him over. Um, and he wrote this book called um, Nothing to be Frightened of. And his quote, he starts off the book with this line, he says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him, Okay. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And he kind of goes on this kind of long kind of rant at the start of the book about how he misses all that was attached to God, that he really wishes and wishes upon wishes that he could still have the benefits of Christianity, but he could never calmly wrap his mind around Jesus and around an omnipotent God, and so he knows he can't have one without the other. And so he misses. He's like, man, I miss the kingdom piece of this. And I think, too, we can get swayed into that argument. Christians. And so Paul is intentionally setting up this contrast between God and between this Ephesian pagan reality to say, no, no, God is greater than all that. Like, you can't bottle him up. In fact, when you try to, he will do far more abundantly anything you ask or think. All the Ephesian magicians and these pagan cult leaders thought that they had kind of God in a box, in a bottle that they could just kind of uh, use and dispense upon their own desires. Paul comes in and says, listen up, friends. Like, no, no, no. Like, our God, he, he can't be boxed in. And in fact, he does far more abundantly than anything you could ever think of, anything you could conjure up. So that's the first contrast. The second one is between Paul and God. And I love this, okay? Because as Anthony preached last week, if you were with us, it's this beautiful prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. These amazing truths. Man, I, I want this to be true, and will this happen for you? And we'll go over this in just a moment. And the way that verses 14 through 19 read, which is what Anthony preached on last week, was, I, Paul, am praying this for you, okay? Which I think would often then lead to people to being like, man, thanks, Paul. Like, thanks for doing that for us. Like, thanks, thanks for giving us and praying for us, right? Thanks so much that you were going to be about giving us the riches of God's glory. I think we can attach all these amazing and good gifts to the person that's praying rather to the giver of the gift. 
It's what I think Paul is intentionally doing here. Because notice what he says, now to him. That's the key part of this verse. Now to him. Or now can also be translated but, right? But to him. And so not like me, I'm praying all this. But you know the one who's actually going to do it and even do far more abundantly anything I prayed is God. And so what you see is Paul here intentionally taking the position of a humble servant, not looking for personal gain or status or glory or fame, but saying, no, 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 like, I, I, these are mere words. It's, it's God that does the work. Now, here's why all that is important. Because we cannot apply verse 20 accurately if we don't take on this same posture, Right? If the posture is, ah, God's not that great, right? Uh, he's not all powerful. He's not bigger than any story out there. And then second, uh, I'm actually a pretty big deal. My life is central. My desires are central. My needs are central to the story, not his and what he's desiring. Man, then you begin to run into some issues where you cannot apply verse 20 well. It ends up getting off course. And so that's why, with that posture, then, we can go into breaking this down individually. So let's zoom in on verse 20 again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or seek or think, excuse me, according to the power at work within us. So listen, he can do more than what we just prayed. So let's recap real quick what we prayed about last week. What were the four different things? One, he prayed that we'd have strength in our heart and our mind to comprehend that God would give us the strength to know and to comprehend the vastness of him, okay? The second part, he prayed that we would know the height, depth, length, and breadth of the riches of God's glory. Now, here's, if we apply the truths of verse 20 to the realities of the prayer in verses 15 and 16, that means that, man, no, no, no. If Paul just prayed, man, I would pray you know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the beautiful love and wonder of God. That means that God will do far more abundantly than that, that he will allow us to know him higher deeper, longer, and breadther, right? I don't know if it's a word. Can you, can you just think about that? So Paul was praying, man, like, I, I, I so desire that you would know this, uh, I, the heights, right? The depths, the lengths, the breadth of the glory of God. And he's like, no, but God will even do far more than what we just asked. Oh, man, that's good. Right? Uh, what else do we pray? We pray for the indescribable love of Christ. He'll do more than the indescribable. Okay? You pray that the fullness of Christ would, do, would dwell in us. He will do more than just the fullness. Like He will do abundantly more. So he's saying, I prayed for these things. These are my desires for the church. But hear what? God's going to do even more than that. What does that look like? I'm not really sure. But he's going to do a far more abundantly than anything we ask or think if we pray in the right posture of our heart. Okay. Now, there's a couple pitfalls to this that, that need to be said. Now, um, this verse uh, oftentimes gets kind of pulled from this context. And so then it kind of becomes this name it and claim it reality. It's, okay, God, well, if you're just going to give me more than I ask or think, I'm just going to think of a new car, and you're going to give me a Lamborghini. Right? Now, now this, some, some of us might say, well, that's just foolish. No, this is like real teaching in the church today. Right? But if you believe enough, right, if you have enough faith, if you go to him and entreat him, God's just going to provide whatever you ask and far more abundantly than whatever you ask. No, no, it doesn't just work that way. We can't treat God, we can't treat Jesus like this cosmic Santa Claus. 
Well, God, here, here's, here's my list, man. And you mail it off to God every time you pray, and then you just expect him to show up with not just everything on the list, but things even that aren't. That's, that's not what this text is saying, but easily it goes there. When you make you the focus, when we forget that God is the one that's doing the work, not ourselves. That is the posture with which we must approach and apply this verse. The second pitfall is on the other end of the spectrum, which says, well, if God is just going to do it, why even pray? Like, like if God's just going to do his thing, okay, if I, maybe, maybe I'll just think it then, right? Like if all I got to do is think it, he knows the desires of my heart, right? He, he knows the things that I want, the things I think of. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to talk to him because he'll just do it and he's going to do far more abundantly than, than even that. Now that is just foolish. There's a foolish place to be. Why? Because it just puts you again right back in the center of your own story. It says, no, God, I don't need you to do these things because I expect them from you. Like, like God, you're, you're kind of my, my guy. Like, you just do this for me. You become the center. You get the glory. You become the one with which there is deserved goodness. There cannot be things farther from the truth. And so we have to approach this reality and pray to God with the right posture and say, no, God, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to ask within in your will. Now, here's the biggest part of this entire, this entire verse that we have to catch. As you notice, he says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask to seek, according to the power at work within us. I think we often read it as, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to what I desire. Not, not according to the power at work that is within the church, which is namely the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit at work in the church to sanctify us, to unify us, to counsel us. And it is that that is supposed to inform the way you and I pray. And so if you notice that your prayers are marked by more of your desires and less of the spirits, this ain't going to work out for you. Like, you, you can't come to this verse and say, well, no, this is just God's going to do far more money. No, he's not. Now, we cannot presume on God, and I don't wish to do that, because sometimes things like that do just happen. So there's the experiential reality where sometimes, man, you do just pray for something, and you do get something way nicer. Like, that just does sometimes happen, but that's not what this text is talking about. text Paul is trying to tell the church like listen I want us to pray I want us to pray in abundance I want us to get after God I want to pray big prayers but I want them to be centered on what is the sanctifying work of the spirit doing in the church how is the spirit trying to change us and trying to mold us namely how is he trying to make us more like Jesus so hear me the power of prayer, where God is going to surely step in and answer this, I, I can guarantee it, is when your expectation and your prayers align with the Spirit's and the Spirit's work, which is to make you more like Christ. If you're always praying that direction, Lord Jesus, make me more like Christ, he will never let you down, and he will never let that go unanswered. It's a different type of way of praying. Because often it's, well, you know, these are, this, is, this is my list. Like, this is the stuff I want. And hear me, I'm not saying don't pray for that. 
But don't allow that to be the expectation about whether or not God is fulfilling his promise. Because I tell you what, God is fulfilling his promise as he sanctifies you to look more like himself. And so if we look at the story of our lives, and if I look at my story, man, there were moments in my life that were like the worst possible things that could have happened. Right? And they drew me to Jesus. And they made me look more like him. Now, if we're wondering, does this truly play itself out? Now, we, look, we need to look no further than Christ himself. Who, for all intents and purposes, like if you're writing a story and you want the hero to come out on top, you don't crucify him. You don't have his own family betray him. You don't have all his followers disband. You don't have his closest followers say, actually, no thanks, because there's some harm that could come to him. You don't have women go and announce him, okay? And hear me, I want to give some context to that because that sounds bad. But back then, right, a woman could not even testify in trial because of the culture. What an amazing, empowering moment. This is a bit of a sidebar right now that when Jesus comes back to life, he has women come and carry that testimony to the world. Beautiful. Listen, because God takes a simple understanding of what, of what Christ had come here to do. And he does far more abundantly than anything they could have thought. They thought he was going to come in, they thought he was going to overthrow Rome, and that Israel was going to be on top again. Instead, he comes in and he dies. And he doesn't just overthrow the power structures of this world, he overthrows Satan, sin, and death. Not just for some, but for all. Well, now the doors are open. And the, gener- and, and the generations, as we'll see, are welcome to join. Okay. So this verse is one of the most beautiful, should be one of the most quoted verses as it is. But I tell you, we need to quote it within its right context. Lord, make me more like Jesus. Sanctify me by the work of your spirit. Draw out sin from my life that hurts me and hurts others. Give me a craving and a desire for your word. Give me a desire and a longing to speak with my Father. The things of Christ, Christ's character, Christ's actions. Man, would that be us? And I tell you, you will never find yourself wanting if that's your prayer. God will show up. It will be far more abundantly anything we can ask or think in that context. I guarantee it. Okay. Now, um, the... Uh, Excuse me. When I was in Chicago, just to give you a little illustration for you, kind of wrap up here and move to the last verse. Um, you know, from time to time, as you go around, like if you're going to preach and stuff like that, this random things just kind of pop up like, oh, that, that's helpful as an illustration. And, and if you start to kind of live this way, it's really helpful because you get these little reminder stories of the gospel everywhere you go. And so I'm in the Chicago O'Hare Airport coming back from my time in Chicago. And if I could just say this, deep dish pizza, overrated, terrible. Don't like it, Okay. <laughs> Um, okay. I feel like I've said way better stuff than that, and you guys clap. So I don't, um, <laughs> it's like, honestly, like after bite four, you're just eating a block of cheese. Like, it's just <laughs> disgusting. And so, anyway, that being said, and, and listen, if I'm saying that, that's a big deal. I'm, I just, you'd be surprised by this. I'm not the healthiest eater, okay? <laughs> um, 
And so we're in Chicago. I'm coming on the airport, and that airport is massive, and it's just crazy. And there's these super long moving walkways. You know those things you just get on, you just hang out? Like, they're just amazing. They're God's gift to legs. And so um, <laughs> you get on those things, and, and I'm literally, I'm standing on it, and I'm just, I'm just hanging out. You know, I'm, like, listening to music. I'm messing around on my phone. I'm people watching. And sure enough, when I look over, there's, like, 10 or 11 weirdos. They're like, no, nah, I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk it, right? Instead of just hanging out on the moving walkway. So I'm standing there, and I'm just, I'm just going. And I get if you're walking on the moving walkway, that makes sense because you're double your speed, right? That's really good. But for the people, and if there's any of you that are like, nah, I'm not going to do the moving walkway, you need to repent, okay? <laughs> That's just foolish. And your pride is getting the best of you. Because <laughs> you're on that. And I'm just like, dude, they made this to ease your life. And you're going to walk. And here's what literally like floods my mind in this moment. I'm like, this is me because I don't pray. Like, this is what, like, I get convicted on this thing. And so I'm like, man, like, this, this is literally what comes to me. That instead of, like, using this, this gift that exists, I decide to go it alone. Now, I'm just messing with you. If you like to walk and you guys get your steps in and all that silliness, whatever, but... But if you're living this life without praying, like I do many days, we are absolute fools. Like, like if you know what's good for you and don't do it, you're just a fool. There's no, I, and this is me, I'm a fool. When I, I'm like, hey, God has offered to make me more like Jesus, my Savior, with whom we've seen all the beautiful, amazing gifts and realities of him. And instead, I'm like, nah, dude, I got this. And I walk instead of jumping on this gift that the Lord's given me to entreat him and trust that my God will do far more abundantly than ever, anything I could ever ask or think. Man, I, Anthony keeps saying it. We keep saying it. We want to be a praying church, which it's unfortunate that like, we have to add praying as if it's like an adjective of the church. Like We just want to be the church. The church is supposed to pray. So if we're not, it's just we're just we're just being fools. Okay, um, let's wrap up. Last verse here. Now to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Again, this is about him, glory to him, not to Paul, not to any God of this world, both in Ephesus and here in Flagstaff, Arizona. Any desire, any idol, anything out there that tries to compete with him, it pales in comparison to the glory that God deserves. Now, this glory is to be found where? In church. And in Christ Jesus, these are not meant and listed to be two separate things, but to be one thing. And so the and is a unifying preposition. So it's church and Jesus are one thing, unified in Christ. And so he's saying, man, may the glory of God be found in the Christ, or sorry, found in the church whose king is Jesus. Now, here's what this is trying to get to, is that the glory of God is supposed to be seen. Okay. That the glory of God is not meant to be this kind of ethereal great idea that exists up here that says, oh, well, that sounds like neat. Like, we want to give glory. No, no, no. The glory of God is to be seen. It is to be seen through a church that has Christ as king. And so we go to the world. We move cities to pursue callings that God has given us to grow and to learn, to use those giftings to benefit the world. 
We send teams to Guatemala so that people would know about their value and their dignity and the image of God that's been made on them. We go to the world and we engage those who are least, last, and lost. Why? Because the glory of God is to be seen, not just thought of, and manifest within the church. And so we go. And that this beautiful reality is to exist within all generations and all people. Now there's this beautiful thing that, that he does here intentionally on the front end and the back end of his prayer. If you notice in verse 14, really verse 15, he says this, About my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so already at the beginning of his prayer, he's building off of everything that we were teaching the three weeks prior to that. Right, The beautiful unifying reality of the gospel that draws together all people to create a church that is diverse in every possible way. Tearing down all dividing lines, specifically within the context, the ethnic ones to create a beautiful picture of the church to the world that his glory would be made known and seen. Okay. Now, in verse 21, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think Paul intentionally bookends his prayer reminding us that this gospel, that these truths, that this goodness, that God will show up for all people far more abundantly than they can ask or think, it's for everyone. That this prayer is for truly everybody to be drawn into for the work of the Holy Spirit who draws us to himself. And this is a beautiful, so God will do far more. About, like there's so much beauty tied up into this verse that has nothing to do with you getting the things you want. And don't fall into that trap but fall deeper into the beauty of what this verse and what Paul is trying to communicate. That God is trying to make, listen, this is not even just individual, he's trying to make his church into something that manifests the glory of Jesus Christ to the world in absolutely everything. And all of our desires, and God, please do this, here's the good news, is he will do far more abundantly than anything we can ask or think. Praise God. Celebrate, worship him. That is the purpose of this. And so really, man, we're about to sing some more songs. We're about to rejoice. We're about to send a team to Guatemala to go serve over there. I feel like in this moment of response, not just today, but are we going to pray for this team that goes? Are you going to pray for your neighbors? Are you going to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are just out there working normal jobs, right, but for the glory of God, to manifest his goodness to the world? Because if not, we're just foolish if we don't talk and ask him to do the work because he's already promised to do it, just maybe in different ways than we ever expected. Amen? Let's pray.